And now, your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And talk about a great day. Uh, there is a question of the U.S. economy. Most people, if you ask them what's the biggest problem we have in the country, people think it's the economy. Right now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is soaring, uh, up 547.6 points so far. Uh, now standing, the Dow Jones Industrial Average at 34,885. Now, you might say, oh, who cares about this except for rich people who invest in the stock market? The majority of Americans have some share in that stock market through the 401ks or retirement accounts or savings uh, somehow. And this is incredibly good news. Uh, U.S. stocks rally as investor, investors, not investors, <laughs> as, as investors digested a cooler than expected inflation print. Now, what this means is that they probably will not have to be raising interest rates, and that's good in so many ways for business and, yes, for the stock market. Uh, it's also a great day because uh, there is a just issued minutes ago. Uh, the United States uh, unveiled some newly declassified intelligence about Hamas, and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. This is very important. And by the way, it goes together with the big march on Washington that is going on right now. It's one of the biggest marches on Washington since that epic march in behalf of civil rights where Dr. King spoke so magnificently and delivered his I Have a Dream speech. This is a march on Washington in support of uh, Israel and returning the hostages. And I want to tell you, I, uh, my heart is, is there with the demonstrators. And the demonstrators include our oldest daughter, Sarah, who's a high school teacher in New York, who came down to Washington to be part of that march. So am I um, impartial and objective when it comes to an event like this that is uh, brought together all of the leading Jewish organizations? I mean from left to right. Uh, this is a kind of unity in the Jewish community that you very rarely see. And by the way, and it's not just the Jewish community, it's all of our friends, uh, particularly our Christian friends, who are uh, enormous supporters of Israel as well. Uh, this is an epic event. We're going to be speaking to uh, the chairman of one of the organizing groups, Stand With Us, uh, live from uh, the March on Washington, which is right there on the National Mall, the same uh, area where they had the March on Washington in 1963. And now, with all of this going on, uh, the U.S. on Tuesday, this is breaking news minutes ago, unveiled newly declassified intelligence saying that Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad have used hospitals in the Gaza Strip, including Al-Shifa Hospital, which is the one where the uh, Israel Defense Forces are right at the door right now. They have used those hospitals to support their military operations and to hold hostages. There's still 240 hostages being held by Hamas, including Americans. I believe the best estimate is nine Americans are among the hostages. 
White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby uh, said that Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad have stored weapons in hospitals, but that the U.S. does not support strikes against those hospitals. I can confirm for you that we have information that Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad use some hospitals in the Gaza Strip, including Al-Shifa, and tunnels underneath them to conceal and to support their military operations and to hold hostages. That's what uh, Mr. Kirby told journalists aboard Air Force One. Uh, we do not support striking a hospital from the air, and we do not want to see a firefight in the hospital, he said. However, the idea that uh, uh, Israel should somehow uh, pull away from the hospital and stop surrounding it, uh, the, there's a great piece today in uh, National Review, which, by the way, is one of those sources that has been superb in providing information and objective information about what's going on in the Middle East, fair information. And uh, one, one of the things that Jim Garrity says in his morning briefing this morning, he says, anybody want to hold Hamas responsible for its deliberate decisions or nah, what would you like Israel to do about the Hamas operations, writes Jim Garrity, under the Al-Shifa hospital complex and other hospitals in the Gaza Strip? A lot of those currently demanding a ceasefire would likely answer, leave these operations alone. That's a good way, writes Jim Garrity, to ensure that the threat of Hamas continues. This is the same dynamic as the proposal to deploy naval hospital ships off the coast of the Gaza Strip to treat Palestinian children, discussed yesterday. Anytime you declare Israel will not strike in this spot, Hamas will move its forces and its equipment to that spot. The decision before Israel is to either attack the Hamas targets underneath hospitals while attempting to avoid civilian casualties or to leave the Hamas operations intact attack and you run the risk of higher Palestinian civilian casualties even greater outrage on the world stage and even more propaganda victories for Hamas painting the Israelis as cruel monsters uh, hold back and Hamas gets to keep more of its men and arms safely in place to fight another day and to plot more massacres for those who wonder if Hamas really does operate underneath the Al-Shifa hospitals, here is an account from uh, Tagreed El-Khadari and Ethan Bonner of the New York Times back in 2008. And they write back then, and, I, and again, we are talking about uh, 15 years ago, Al-Shifa at Shifa Hospital on Monday armed Hamas militants in civilian clothes robed the halls. Asked their function, they said they were providing security. But there was internal bloodletting underway. In the fourth floor orthopedic section, a woman in her late 20s asked some militant to let her see Saleh Hajjaj, her 32-year-old husband. She was turned away and left the hospital. Fifteen minutes later, Hajjaj was carried out of the room by a young man pretending to transfer him to another hospital section. As he lay on the stretcher, he was shot in the left side of the head. 
a bit of a brain emerged on the other side of his skull. Hajoj, like five others who were killed at the hospital in this way in the previous 24 hours, was accused of collaboration with Israel. He had been in the central prison awaiting trial by Hamas judges, and when Israel destroyed the prison on Sunday, he and others were transferred to the hospital, but their trials were short-skirted. Uh, this goes on with more information. And yes, it is very relevant and it is very important. Uh, a huge crowd denouncing anti-Semitism and demanding Hamas release of Israeli hostages filled the National Mall today and continued for blocks during the March for Israel today in Washington, D.C. Israeli President Isaac Herzog addressed the crowd through a live video feed. Despite the thousands of miles separating them, Herzog said they are united to march for the babies, for the boys and girls, women and men, viciously held hostage by Hamas, to march for the right of every Jew to live proudly and safely in America, in Israel, and all around the world. The event is believed to be the largest pro-Israel gathering in the U.S. since Hamas militants inflicted widespread carnage in Israel on October 7th, slaughtering children and kidnapping soldiers and civilians alike. Uh, more coming up, uh, a fight uh, literally breaks out on the floor of Congress. What's going on? We'll talk about it on the Medved Show. On the Michael Medved Show, uh, we're going to be speaking coming up to uh, Max Boot, who is a columnist, former editorial page editor for the Wall Street Journal. He is now a columnist uh, syndicated all over the world through the Washington Post. But uh, he writes an extraordinarily important column about the greatest threat to the United States. Now, this from a guy who has written superb books about our past wars. And uh, his answer as to the greatest threat we face right now is profoundly important. Uh, we will be speaking to him coming up. Uh, there's also, we're going to be speaking to Ross Rothstein coming up, who is the founder and the CEO of Stand With Us, which is one of the leading pro-Israel organizations in the world and acknowledged as such by the leadership in Israel. Uh, Raz is, of course, part of this uh, D.C. rally, which has ended up being a tremendous success. There was a lot of concern about security. Uh, everything appears to be fine. There was very good preparation uh, by the Washington City Administration and by the White House and uh, others. Uh, um, uh, Jeremy, what did you say? Yeah, I mean, the National Guard is already out. They are prepared uh, for this. Now, of course, there have been no threats of violence of any kind from the organizers or the leaders of uh, this event. But the Department of Homeland Security has deemed the march a level one security event, the highest possible level when considering national importance, potential threats, and the resources needed to ensure public safety. Such intense security is unprecedented for a march or protest in Washington, said uh, Donald Harvin, a former D.C. Chief of Homeland Security and Intelligence. 
anti-Semitic uh, vandalism has been rattling Jewish communities amid growing tension in the U.S. There has never been a First Amendment event in D.C. that has been designated as a level one event, Harvin told CNN. Those designations are reserved for high-profile events such as the Super Bowl and the World Series. Uh, I was glad to hear that a pro-Israel <clears throat> pro-Israel event uh, generates the same kind of response as the Super Bowl and hope it does more than the World Series uh, between the Diamondbacks and the Rangers, which had the lowest television ratings in the history of the World Series. In any event, the Level 1 designation allows the federal government to fill possible gaps in local security, including explosive detection, cyber risk assessments, and venue screening. Uh, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser said the National Guard will be on site to assist local police. And uh, that is good, and that is certainly positive. Uh, there is more. Now, they don't need the National Guard, but it's kind of important when there are two different uh, confrontations in Congress involving members of Congress, one a U.S. senator, uh, two of the others, members of the House, who uh, seem to be on the point of a physical confrontation. One of them involves Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker, who is accused of elbowing and trying to start a fight with Tim Burchett, who's a Republican of Tennessee, on the steps of the Capitol. Uh, this was uh, uh, basically Burchett was one of the eight people who was responsible for Kevin McCarthy losing the speakership. Here is what Congressman Burchett said to Manu Raju of CNN about the accusation that Kevin McCarthy attacked him, elbowed him in the back. Uh, here is uh, clip three. I got elbowed in the back, and it kind of caught me off guard because it was a clean shot to the kidneys, and I turned back, and there was there was Kevin, and I, I for a minute, I was kind of, what the heck just happened? And then I you know, I, I chased after him, of course. He's a, as I've stated many times, he's a he's a bully with $17 million in a security detail. You know, he's the type of guy that when you're a kid would throw a rock over the fence and run home and hide behind his mama's skirt. And he just, you know, he, <laughs> he uh, from behind, that kind of stuff. It, you know, that's not the way we handle things in East Tennessee. We, we If we have a problem with somebody, I'm going to look him in the eye and, and talk to him. Okay, so he walked down the hallway, hit you in his el- with his elbow. Yeah, you, you, can, that- you can go on Claudia's Twitter account. It, it, it pretty much, um, or X account, it, right. it, it's, it's very accurate. But, okay, so then just explain. So you chased him? What, what do you mean you chased well, him? I just ran after him. I was like, what the heck? You know, why'd you do that? You know, because it was, uh, like I said, it, if you've ever been hit in the kidneys, it's a little little different. You don't have to hit very hard to cause a little bit of pain, a lot of pain. And and he just, of course, as he always did, does, he just uh, denies it or blames somebody else or something, you know. And it was just a little heated, but I just backed off because there wasn't any, I saw no reason. I wasn't gaining anything from it. <laughs> no, not gaining anything from it. McCarthy denies the story. Uh, here is Kevin McCarthy, clip 24. Not elbow. I would not hit him in a kidney. HC5, you're all down there, right? Not a very big hallway. So I'm walking out. You could talk to Bruce Westerman because I actually called him after you guys reported something. and said, did I hit somebody? Bruce Westerman and I were walking out. And I guess a reporter was interviewing Burchard or something. 
I guess our shoulders hit because Bertrand runs up to me after. I didn't know what he was talking about. So my reporters asked me. I did not run and hit the guy. I did not kidney punch him. I did not shoot anything like that. You didn't shove him. No. I, we're walking through. You, you were at HC5, right? You guys line up along the way there. It was Bruce Wester and I walking out. He must have been interviewing someone. I didn't know it was him or something. I guess our elbows hit as I walked by. I didn't punch anybody. Did he but, 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 no? but, yeah, well, he, I guess it happened because when I was walking back further, I don't say somebody was interviewing me or talking to me, and he comes running up like, why, why, why did you hit me or something like that? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't even know something transpired. But reporters who witnessed this said it looked like you, yeah. there was plenty of room for you to walk, and that you intentionally hit him. There is, okay, not a place. Show me a reporter who saw that. Ask Carl Bruce Westerman. Okay, well, well, ask Bruce Westerman. No, I did not go up. If I hit, if I would hit somebody, they would know I hit he said he, he, said, he, said, he said he was in pain that you hit oh, him so hard. Come on now. That's what he said. Okay. Oh. That, that's <laughs> I, I, this is this is very sad. I mean, I um, uh, and by the way, it's not the only one. There is a uh, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma, Republican. Uh, we we will get to to that story, but this was a it looked like a serious fight. I mean, uh, people were taking off their rings to get ready for mixed martial arts, and the fight had to be stopped by Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bernie Sanders is not the guy you'd think most likely to stop a fight. Uh, he is 82 years old, and perhaps the wisdom of age helps here. Uh, wisdom of age, uh, uh, Max Boot is too young to have that apply to him. But he has a piece of profound wisdom about the greatest security threat to the United States today. And no, it's not Iran, and it's not China. So what is it exactly? We'll speak about that with uh, international affairs expert and columnist Max Boot coming up on The Medved Show. It is basically insane. The Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show very honored to have back on the show Max Boot an historian a best-selling author a foreign policy analyst and a deeply influential columnist whose columns are read all around the world he has been called one of the world's leading authorities on armed conflict by the International Institute for Strategic Studies uh, he is the James uh, Jean Kirkpatrick Senior Fellow for National Security Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations, and he is a columnist for the Washington Post. Uh, you have a uh, just an enormously significant uh, column that I wish everybody would read. We've posted it at our website at michaelmedved.com. It's a column about the greatest threat to the United States and to our national security. And that threat is in China. In fact, in your column, you suggest that uh, the United States is still way ahead of China in terms of national security resources, uh, economic resources. 
So what's the biggest threat to our country right now, Max Boot? Well, I would argue that the biggest threat that we face is ourselves. It's really political dysfunction. It's the fact that we can't get our act together in Washington and the fact that we are seeing declining support in the country at large for the kind of American global leadership role that we assumed after World War II, and that led to this unprecedented expansion of freedom and prosperity around the world. Now we have the largest isolationist caucus in this country since the attack on Pearl Harbor, and we have increasing uh, gridlock, uh, partisanship, and extremism in Washington. And all of that, I think, threatens America's ability to lead the world, which we would otherwise be able to continue doing because of our economic and military strength. You write in your column, there's no reason we cannot continue to lead the world in the 21st century unless, of course, we abdicate our position of unmatched power. I fear we might be in the process of doing just that, not as a conscious decision, but simply as an outgrowth of our domestic political dysfunction. Given the fact that, I mean, you have some amazing numbers in your piece, which people should keep in mind, that, uh, for instance, 24% of the world economy, which is way, way, way beyond our percentage of population, which is 5%, uh, 24% of the world economy is American companies. And uh, with, with all of that, why do we have this push right now to abdicate our position of unmatched power? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think there's always been that isolationist tendency in this country. It sort of got uh, pushed to the side during the years of the Cold War. Uh, and then it started making a return in the 1990s. And then we had 9-11 and we had the war on terrorism and once again isolationism was kind of pushed to the side. But then I think it returned after the failures in Afghanistan and Iraq and various failures closer to home. And now, of course, there is a leader for the isolationist movement, Donald Trump. And that's, you know, very unusual because, you know, since 1945, there's really been a bipartisan consensus in support of American global leadership and free trade. And Trump rejects all of that, trashes our allies, and, you know, if he returns to office, which he very well could, he will probably pull out of NATO, abandon Ukraine. That's, he doesn't speak for the entire Republican Party, to be sure, but there's a substantial subset that he that is very fervently MAGA, as you know. And that's why right now Congress is struggling to pass more aid for Ukraine, even though, you know, this ought to be a no-brainer that supporting this embattled democracy under siege from this new evil empire, that's something that all Americans should get behind. But increasingly, that's a controversial stance within the Republican Party. And even aid to Israel right now, which enjoys a lot of bipartisan support, even aid to Israel is now falling victim to the infighting in Washington. And right now, Congress can't pass an aid bill for either Israel or Ukraine. You know, that doesn't speak well for our ability to maintain our, our global leadership role and to stand by our friends and allies. Uh, in terms of uh, the Ukraine, there was a piece today in the Telegraph, British newspaper, that the British Ministry of Defense has said that uh, without question, Putin so far 
and not counting the mercenaries and not counting people like who are involved with the Wagner group, but just the Russian army, uh, they have lost 300,000 killed in action in Ukraine. Uh, does that sound credible to you, Max Boot? That sounds a little bit high. The figure I've heard is about 200,000 casualties, which is killed in action and wounded in action. But whatever the exact figure is, it's very high. I mean, these are the highest losses that Russia has suffered since World War II. It's really decimating the Russian armed forces. I mean, they're also losing a large share of their tanks, uh, helicopters, artillery pieces, all the rest of it. It's vastly decreasing the threat that Russia poses to our NATO allies and, and to the United States. And we're doing all of this for six-tenths of one percent of U.S. federal spending and with not a single American soldier being risked on the ground. It's an amazing investment, one of the greatest investments we've ever made in our own national security. And yet there is growing opposition in Congress, especially in the House, among the House Republican caucus, towards uh, continuing the aid that Ukraine needs to stay alive. And they're running out of U.S. money right now. So it's imperative that Congress get its act together and and, and, and fund that uh, fund that bill, which is something that you know Senator Mitch McConnell, who's kind of an old-fashioned Reagan-style Republican, he wants to do that, uh, and so do a lot of other Republicans. But they're running into resistance from the America First isolationists. Uh, and by the way, uh, just to co- correct this, this is the statement from uh, James Heapy, who is the Armed Forces Minister in the British government right now. Uh, he said that more than 300,000 Russian soldiers have been killed or wounded. So it's not just killed in action. Yeah, 300,000 soldiers. Yeah. yeah, and uh, he says that does not account the 10,000 uh, more than Russian soldiers who have deserted. Uh, and then the British also said, we also estimate that over 7,117 Russian armored vehicles, including nearly... Uh, 2,475 main battle tanks, 93 fixed-wing aircraft, 132 helicopters, uh, 320 unmanned aerial vehicles, and a partridge in a pear tree. Uh, They have all been destroyed since the start of this conflict. So if uh, it is in the U.S. interest, and I think it clearly is, to degrade the military power and capabilities of the nascent Russian Empire. Uh, the Ukrainians have done a magnificent job, no? Absolutely. I mean, again, as I said, this is supporting Ukraine as the best foreign policy investment we've made in, in many decades. It's paying off not only in helping a free people to stay free, but also in doing such vast damage to one of our chief adversaries. I mean, after, you know, after the mauling that, that the Russian armed forces is getting in Ukraine, they're not going to be able to threaten our NATO allies for a good many years to come. But we got to keep in mind that, you know, Putin is not giving up and he still has a lot of resilience. Uh, he's not, uh, you know, he, he's willing to, to bear massive casualties because his country is not a democracy. And, you know, his hope is that we will stop supporting Ukraine and Ukraine will collapse, and uh, I just hope that we do not prove him right. You are, you're writing a biography right now of President Reagan, and what a great time to do it. Uh, if President Reagan had one sentence to impart 
to the Republican Party today, what would it be? Well, I think it would probably be what uh, what his great ally Margaret Thatcher said to his successor, George H.W. Bush, which was, don't go wobbly. Uh, and this is not the time to go wobbly. Amen to that. Max Boots, a superb column, is posted on our website at michaelmedved.com. We will be right back. Michael Medved. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, there is uh, no agreement, no consensus yet. Not only not yet, (laughs) despite the fact that what are we four days away from uh, a new government shutdown, which would be devastating. It would be devastating for people who care about the war between Israel and the terrorist group Hamas. It would be devastating for people who care about uh, voting uh, the supplies in ammunition, a lot of it uh, uh, basically supplementing what our allies are already doing. The Germans just approved uh, uh, paying the money for 25 new Leopard tanks for the Ukrainians. Germans just did that today. And, uh, okay, meanwhile, we can't do anything because our representatives, our elected representatives, some of them Republicans, are too busy attacking each other in personal brawls. I, um, uh, we mentioned before, and we played you some of the tape of Kevin McCarthy uh, denying that he had actually elbowed uh, Congressman Tim Burchett of Tennessee. And uh, this sounds very serious. Burchett was saying that there, there was a deliberate attempt to elbow him in the kidneys to cause maximum pain. Uh, meanwhile, over on the Senate side of things, there's uh, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, Republican of Oklahoma, who challenged uh, a Teamsters union leader named Sean O'Brien. Uh, to a physical fight, standing up midway through a Senate Health, Education, Labor, Pensions, and Brawls Committee. Uh, I just added the brawls because of today. And uh, basically, they were ready to go at it when uh, Bernie Sanders uh, (laughs) had the courage to come between them and stop the fight before it began. It sounded like this, which is unbelievable, but listen. You tweeted at me one, two, three, four, five times. And let me read what the last one said. Um, It said, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Sorry, I wish he was in the truck with me when I was building my plumbing company. Myself and my wife was running the office because I sure remember working pretty hard and long hours. Pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quit the tough guy act and these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. If you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. 
Oh, hold on. Oh, oh, stop it. Is that your Pardon. solution, every poll? No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Active. Oh, okay. okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond, Mr. Hold Chairman? it. Hold it. If hold we can't... No, I have the mic. I'm sorry. This is hold it. You'll have your time. Can I respond? Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> this is a hearing. And God knows the American people have enough of contempt for Congress. Let's not I don't make like it worse. Drugs and do it. And that's I don't like you because you Hold described it. yourself. Hold it. <laughs> I'm not even sure what the argument is, but it's deep seated. One of the um, uh, messages on uh, a tweet, what used to be tweet, which is now X, is uh, Sean O'Brien who. Uh, use the uh, hashtag uh, Teamster SOB, and he certainly sounds like it, sent to Senator Mullen, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made, in reality just a clown and a fraud, always have been, always will be. Uh, quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, anytime, cowboy. Hashtag little man syndrome. Um, and and then uh, uh, you heard it. This is the time. This is a place. You want to run your mouth? We can be two consenting adults. We can finish it right here. Senator Mullen added. And uh, then uh, uh, Bernie Sanders said, hold it, stop it. Is that your solution to every problem? O'Brien demands, stop it. No, sit down. Uh, this went on. Mullen, who was first elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 2012, was elected to the U.S. Senate in 2022. Before going into politics, he won three mixed martial arts fights in 2006 and 2007. Okay, so you look at these two guys. My uh, my bet uh, as a betting man would be on <laughs> Senator Mark Wayne Mullen. Uh, who has won mixed martial arts fighting before. He he had already stood up and was taking off his rings. He apparently has fairly, because you're not supposed to kill the other guy uh, originally. But uh, in any event, uh, this wasn't all, because there was also uh, the House Oversight Chair, and this is in an empty hearing room. When you look at the tape, it's just unbelievable. The chairman of the House Oversight Committee, James Comer of Kentucky, Republican, got into a war of words with Representative Jared Moskowitz, a Democrat of Florida, for claiming that uh, Moskowitz took a loan or actually gave a loan to his brother. Now, why is this such a heated issue? Well, listen to it. This is 12. It has come out in the public that you also do business with your brother with potential loans. And so since you have framed that and manipulated that with the American people, that Joe Biden did something wrong when he wasn't in office, I just would like to know if you would like to use some of my time. I would love, I would love it. Okay. You retweeted that story. Completely false. I've never loaned my brother one penny. My father, who was a dentist, had some farmland. He died. And my brother couldn't afford he wanted to sell it but he wanted to keep it in the family so i bought it from my brother that story that you tweeted also said i had a shell company that is bull 
you can come to Monroe County and look at all the land that is titled in that LLC. I think that the problem is, you know, they tried to get, the White House tried to get CNN to write that story. They went around and investigated all this bull****. Mr. Chairman, you no, have no, you, you no, no, hold, hold on. If we're you if we're not on time, we you disinformation. You, you, you have you gone on TV and said the president did something you illegal. You're doing stuff with your brother. The American people have the same questions. Why should they believe you? Why should they believe you? Why should they believe you? There's, there's a different rule for the president. There's a different rule for you. Okay, do do you understand why Max Boot? says, I think, correctly that our biggest threat right now to our security is dysfunction in government and politics. This is this is all in one day. Uh, and you have. Yeah. Who, who knows what what happens tomorrow? I mean, again, uh, one of the things that I think was was really very inspiring, frankly, about this this demonstration today with literally hundreds of thousands of people on the National Mall uh, demonstrating to get our hostages back and support for the state of Israel is because, look, certainly in the Jewish community, there's lots and lots of infighting and bitterness, but not now because there's a sense of people coming together. Can't we do that as a country a little bit? And and again, a number of other people have uh, uh, brought up the the terrible story of May twenty second, eighteen fifty six, when Senator Charles Sumner, who was one of the leading abolitionist voices, one of the founders of the Republican Party, uh, but uh, he he was writing at his desk in the Senate when he was approached by uh, Preston Brooks, who was a member of the House from South Carolina. And uh, Preston Brooks had an uncle, Senator Butler, who had been insulted by Charles Sumner because Charles Sumner said that uh, uh, Butler had a mistress, and the mistress was the institution of slavery. And uh, so uh, Preston Brooks picked up his terracotta cane, and he began beating Senator Sumner, who was a tall man, and he had his feet uh, linked under uh, his desk so he couldn't get up easily. He had permanent brain damage. And the uh, Preston Brooks was very close to killing him, and the other senators who were in the building or in the hall of the Senate just laughed. This is not funny anymore. Uh, we can do better. And how? We will talk about that and much more coming up in this greatest nation on God's green earth.